folks. Welcome back to Dava Hacker. This is Chris once again. Hey folks, welcome back. Chris Wine Africa here on what is it, Tuesday, the 8th of June 2021. Pleasure to have you with us here for the Indaba Africa News of the Day at this late hour. We were busy earlier with my interview on the Conscious Caracals program. Hope you had a chance to watch that. But let's get straight to the news headlines from today. I've left the chat on rather than turn it off since it's a night owl's edition. So feel free to chat over there, folks, as I go through the headlines and give you in-depth news analysis on events across Africa and around the world. South Africa's health minister, Zuelim Kizi, has been put on a special leave over the digital vibe scandal involving 150 million rand, some of it paid to organize his Zoom sessions. I'd like to have that contract. I can do that for far less money if you'd like to have your Zoom session scheduled there, Mr. Minister. ESCOM denies allegations that it has secretly launched stage six load shedding, which would mean that 6,000 megawatts of capacity are shed from the grid. Very unpleasant news for Springbok fans around the world. And for me, especially one of my all-time favorite players, Dwayne Vermeulen, has to undergo surgery to his ankle after a brutal twisting of it during the final stages of a game against the Stormers at Loftus this past weekend. He'll be out for up to seven weeks, which means he's likely to miss all of the British and Irish Lions series considering it'd be very unlikely he'd be fit to come back at the end of that. But we will hold our breath and see what happens. A uh, very, very much misfortune for the Springboks who look to be having some great talent come together. Dwayne Vermeulen was having an amazing season. The 36-year-old, nearly 37-year-old Mornay Sten is looking amazing, both of whom are playing for the Bulls. And it looked like this was going to be a better squad than we could possibly hope for. But now with the loss of uh, Dwayne Vermeulen, we are left wondering what's going to happen. 36 million South Africans are surviving off of state public assistance. In 1994, the entire population of South Africa was approximately 40 million people. That means that the ANC has successfully managed to increase the number of people living off of welfare to an astronomically high figure, nearly approaching the population of the entire country when they took over. What an impressive achievement, African National Congress. South Africa's Competition Commission's blockage of the sale by Grand Parade of its Burger King assets to an equity fund out of the United States, Emerging Capital Partners, continues to make news across South Africa. Kali Schletwein has called for a second desalinization plant on the coast of Namibia. Nigeria's Twitter ban has folks all aflutter. The Islamic State of West Africa province, or ISWAP, has issued an audio release in which it claims, in fact, that Boko Haram leader Abu Bakar Shakao is, in fact, dead, claiming he committed suicide taking his own life when ISWAP attacked Boko Haram a few weeks ago. Burkina Faso survivors of the attack that killed over 100 villagers are in urgent need of assistance and aid. Are bats the salvation for South Africa's macadamia nut industry beset by stink bugs? And the Gulf of Guinea Declaration has been signed by over 300 organizations. There was a massive global internet outage for over an hour today after cloud service provider Fastly went down, affecting the BBC, the New York Times, and websites around the globe that have become overly dependent on that company. Its outage meant that many users around the internet could not watch or see content for well over an hour. The United States Senate report on the events of the 6th of January is out, and it makes no mention of former President Donald Trump. Vice President Kamala Harris made her first overseas trip to Guatemala. A little bit of a snafu with Air Force Two that had to return for technical problems, but later she continued on with her four and a half hour flight and showed up in Guatemala, where she was greeted with taunts 
and pro-Trump support from Guatemalans. Interesting development that. And congratulations to Tom McDonald's Snowflakes video, which despite clear evidence of shadow banning and faking the numbers by the platform, has over 4 million views in just a couple of days there on YouTube. Congratulations, Tom McDonald. Forecast said that there would be snowflakes. Mm -hmm. Tom broke the counter. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the headlines for today, the 6th, uh, or excuse me, the 8th of June, I should say, the 8th of June, 2021, here on Adobe African News of the Day. Let's get to the in-depth news and analysis. We'll talk more about the stories I've just mentioned here. Health Minister Tzuelim Kizi goes on special leave in the wake of the Digital Vibes revelations. This is a shocking development, but of course, no action taken. He's also now going to appear before the, <laughs> the ironically named ANC Integrity Commission, that's right, or committee, commission. He will appear for that. Health Minister Mkisi has been placed on specially by President Ronald Posa and will present himself to the ANC's Integrity Commission in, in relation to the $150 million RAND, Rand Digital Vibes contract. Mkisi told reporters in Northern Cape that he was inspecting vaccination sites that he had requested special leave. Oh, he requested. This period of special leave will enable the minister to attend to allegations and investigations concerning contracts between the Department of Health and a service provider, Digital Vibes, said President Ramaphosa. Now, he's away at the G7 summit, even though South Africa is not a G7 country. It's barely a functioning country at this point. In the absence of Mkizi, the president has appointed the tourism minister, Mbabaloko Kubaya Mkubane, has been appointed as the acting health minister. Why wasn't the deputy health minister appointed to be the health minister. And what does the tourism minister know about health? Well, of course, in South Africa, the ministers don't know anything. Look, Lindway Susuzlu has been the minister of everything except cleaning toilets in South Africa. She's never done a damn thing since, since 1994 except be a member of parliament and appointed as a minister endlessly. Life of privilege and elite life for Lindway Susuzlu, as it has been for many others, including Kozizani Dalimizumo, who's been the minister of so many things that we can't keep track of it. They even tried to get rid of her and shipped her off to Addis Ababa to be the UN or the AU commission chairperson. And um, she still came back like a bad penny. ESCOM denies allegations that it is engaged in clandestine stage six load shedding. South Africans experience no electricity and they're wondering why. ESCOM has hit back at allegations that it quietly implemented stage six load shedding on the 2nd of June. This is after energy analyst Ted Bloom said the power utility faced a generating shortfall of 5,136 megawatts, which he said would have required stage six load shedding for ESCOM in order them to handle that. However, in a load shedding update posted to Twitter, ESCOM spokesman Sikunati Mantatashasha said that ESCOM load shedding was only 2.267 during that peak on the second, much less than Bloom's information would suggest. Questioned about Bloom's claims, ESCOM disputed the accuracy of his information, saying that the peak shortfall on Wednesday was 4,000 megawatts. Well, what is clear is that when you are an electric utility and you have to quibble about how much energy you have dumped off your network because you're failing infrastructure that you've failed to maintain, despite the largesse of the state and of taxpayers and ratespayers, that you've got a far bigger problem than denying that you're load shedding two versus three versus four versus 5,000 megawatts of power. The fact that you're dumping 1,000 megawatts of power off your grid is a sad indictment for the corrupt, inept, inefficient, and disgraceful parastatal known as ESCOM. For Springbok fans like myself, very disappointing news hearing that Dwayne Vermeulen is down for surgery to his ankle after the contest between the Stormers and Bulls at Loftus this past weekend. Vermeulen will undergo surgery while the fire pit box enter the Hall of Shame. What are we talking about? In case you haven't heard about that, there was a bra incident. 
<laughs> involving two Springboks who've got burned as a consequence of somebody horsing around with lighter fluid. So there's Dwayne Vermeulen. After a few eventful days, it emerged that there is bad news for bulk number eight, Dwayne Vermeulen, who needs surgery, but good news for Damian Dalende and R.G. Snayman after burns they suffered are not as serious as initially thought. It's a massive personal blow for Vermeulen as well as a huge setback for the box. At this stage, Vermeulen has not been ruled out for the test series against the touring British and Irish Lions, but it has been narrowed his chances of taking the field. The first test is on July 23rd, giving him about seven weeks to recover. Vermeulen's surgery was confirmed by a highly placed source to share that with the the Daily Maverick. Very disappearing. So Marcel Cotsia will come up in his stead. In the meantime, Cotsia has, I think, 36 caps to his name. So it's not like he's a debutante. It should make a difference. But for their part, R.J. Snayman and Damien Tealende find themselves in the hall of shame or uh, the uh, the clown car of buffoonery for stupid accidents that cause problems for athletes. Fire Pit 4 luckily escaped serious injury but joined Pantheon of Shame. Last weekend's fire pit accident that led to burns for two prominent Springbok players is thankfully not too serious, but it's put Damien Dalene and R.J. Snayman in the pantheon of dumbest sports injuries. Springbok center Dalene admitted that the burns he suffered in the face, arms, and legs were a result of fooling around with petrol. A crackling fire, four rugby players who might or might not have enjoyed a few beverages, and a container of petrol. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, quite a bit, actually. Quite a bit, actually. Damien Dialende uh, and Snayman, as well as uh, CJ Stander, who's South African but plays for Ireland, and Englishman Mike Haley, all play for Irish province of Munster, sustained injuries in the bizarre incident. And it reminds people of this bizarre situation, which took place <laughs> a couple of years ago from the Welsh hooker Scott Baldwin. Check this out. Hey, bye. Quinton? Yes. Okay, just take him quickly for first aid. Go. Oof. You're all right. Good luck. Everybody film off In case you missed that, he nearly had his hand bitten off because he was petting a lion as if it was a pussycat. My goodness. That was not very bright. Uh, Scott Baldwin, that was the Welsh hooker. This is when the Ospreys came down to play the Cheetahs in Bloemfontein. They took them out and showed them lions. Here, <laughs> kitty, 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 kitty. Ow! Oh! Well, of course, Damien Dalende, CJ Stander, and uh, RJ Stamen joined the pantheon of buffoonery there. <laughs> That was not very bright. That was a lion sanctuary. Not very bright, folks. Not very bright. Well, it may come as little surprise to many South Africans, particularly those who actually pay taxes and work for a living, that over half of South Africa's population lives on public assistance because they're in poverty. Thank you, African National Congress. Shock grant data shows why government is pushing for new basic income for South Africa to take yet more money out of the pockets of those who actually work. Social Development Minister Lindwe Zulu says that nearly 10 million applied to receive the special 350 RAN relief grant between May of 2020 and April of 2021. Responding to written parliamentary question and answer, she said that the date, a total of nearly 10 million applicants have received for grant. Now, of course, they've rejected or not paid many of these people. Of course, we know that. It's estimated between the caregiver's allowance and the COVID grant of 350, approximately 36 million individuals benefited from these both directly and indirectly. Based on the latest mid-year population estimates for Statistics South Africa, 
This equates to more than half of all South Africans benefiting from grants in some manners. Ladies and gentlemen, here's a news flash for you. The reason that over half of South Africans live in abject poverty and subsist on state grants is not because of white monopoly capital. It's not because of apartheid. It's not because of racism. Well, not racism by people who aren't in government, but certainly racism by members of government. The reason why 36 million South Africans live in abject poverty off of state assistance, which nearly equals the entire population of the country back in 1994 when this ruling party took over. The reason people live in poverty in South Africa is entirely a consequence of feckless, corrupt, inept, malfeasant governance by the ruling African National Congress, a party that betrays its legacy and betrayed the liberation struggle and should be ashamed of its very existence at this stage. That's why people lived in abject poverty, not because of the things they claim. Well, the news over Grand Parade's effort to sell off its failing assets in Burger King, 90 franchise restaurants around South Africa, plus a meatpacking plant, it's fallen apart because the Competition Commission has decided that selling your steak to a company that doesn't have people with sufficient melanin in their skin pigmentation is apparently a bridge too far and unacceptable. This news continues to reverberate through South Africa and as few people around the world actually discover the racist regime of the ANC, we must report on the facts. Scrape, scrapping the Burger King South Africa deal over black economic empowerment will hurt future investments according to a staff writer at Business Tech. Last week, the commission formally blocked pan-African equity firm Emerging Capital Partners from purchasing fast food giant Burger King or chain Burger King from South Africa and Grand Foods meat plant. The base decision was not a result of concerns about competition, but that the proposed merger cannot be justified on substantial public interest grounds. Let me translate, cannot be justified on substantial public interest grounds. You are not giving your equity to somebody based on their skin pigmentation. Hello, that's racist. And why? Because that's the ANC. They don't care about South Africans and what matters there. In Namibia, there's an effort now to push for a second desalinization plant to make more potable drinking water and expand services for Namibians. This call for a second plant to, de to shift development to the central coast and realize the government's vision of establishing Walvis Bay and Swakopmund as logistics hubs for southern African region, there's a need for a second desalinization plant, according to the Minister for Agriculture, Water, and Land Reform, Kale Schletwein, an ethnic German who is a member of the Swapo government. That's a photo for illustrative purposes there, not actual plant. Discussion about doing it. This is so that we can stay ahead and say water is not a problem. We will give you water when you want to invest here. Instead of when you come here, we promise to give you water. Well, that's actually forward thinking and strategic on his part. Investors do not react on promises. They react to factual situations. That's why nobody's going to invest in South Africa with its racist rules. That is why we say desalinization plant is no longer a contention. It's a reality. We will build it. He said a groundbreaking ceremony for the Kuiseb Collector to Schwarzkupa Sakamun pipeline near Volvis Bay this past weekend. The minister spent the last week visiting several sites crucial to the complex integrated water supply system at the coast, as well as the mines, which consume 50% of the 12 million cubic meters per year of water supply in the region, the other half going to the coastal towns. So Namibia is looking to increase desalinization capacity to help with its economic development. Seems like a good forward-looking approach. In Nigeria, everyone's a flutter over the government's banning of social media giant Jack Dorsey's Twitter. 
famously, just to bring up the speed, President Buhari sent a warning out to those who violate the law and threatened them with action and prosecution. Nigerians whined about this and reported Twitter to, or which reported President Buhari to Twitter, who promptly suspended him for 12 hours. The government of Nigeria in response banned Twitter from operating in Nigeria. The U.S. government, the under the uh, the president here, Joe Biden, Ireland, Canada, the United Kingdom, the European Union, all took umbrage with this. Yet none of them stepped forward to speak up for those who had those of us who've had our voice crushed by these tech titans who've silenced legitimate discourse because they disagree with it politically. But they'll stand up when the president of Nigeria is attacked. And not for the president, they didn't stand up for him, but they'll stand up when the government blocks people from using Twitter as a cancerous, malignant tumor on the rectum of society. Yep, this thing is all over the press. It is making the news everywhere. The Africa Report, Nigeria's Twitter blackout. What's really behind Buhari's social media ban? <laughs> well, leftists are behind it. After Nigeria's President Buhari got angry with Twitter for deleting a tweet of his, he retaliated by blocking the country of more than 200 million from accessing the social media site. Yes, Nigeria is a country of 200 million people, but that's hyperbole and a very misleading statement. 39 million Nigerians apparently use Twitter on a regular basis. That's who was blocked. So 39 million is a lot, but 200 million is a lot more. And typical fake news to mislead people with that, to give the impression that 200 million people were banned from Twitter. But one person banned is the same as 39 million. They're all banned. The Human Rights Watch, based in Manhattan, has come out. Human Rights Watch, which headquarters is in the Empire State Building, says that Nigeria's Twitter ban follows a pattern of repression. Government should end restrictions on free expression. Really? Really? Well, then the government here in the United States should suspend or amend Section 230 of the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which gives Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube immense powers to censor people by claiming they're not editors. By censoring people, you are editorializing and they get away with it. So if Human Rights Watch is so concerned about Twitter being banned in Nigeria, why doesn't Human Rights Watch stand up for my human rights and my freedom of expression here in America, which for no legitimate reason was quashed and suppressed? They don't care about people. They just care about leftist elites so they can preach a narrative. Shameful Human Rights Watch, people who've been largely silent for the repression taking place in Zimbabwe for the past 20 years, only occasionally making a comment about it. Strangely silent about the dismembered Mozambicans in Cabo Delgado province. You shame yourself by stepping into the fray on this issue, Human Rights Watch. For its part, Foreign Policy Magazine has come out and said Nigeria's Twitter ban is another sign of dictatorship. Really? A hasty and extra-legal jurisdiction? Is it extra-legal? Is it really extra-legal? Does Nigeria's constitution forbid the government from making this restriction? I don't know. I'm not an expert in Nigerian constitutional law. And I suspect that foreign policy may not be either. I like how they say argument, an expert's point of view on a current event. Well, hey, how about my article, Foreign Policy? Kola Tubisun. I don't know what that name is. It looks like it'd be finished for all I can tell. Nigeria slipped back to dictatorship. Really? Banning, banning an abusive, cancerous social media platform is dictatorship. Well, it's not the appropriate response, but is it really dictatorship? It's already clear when dozens of protesters were shot in October for demanding change behavior of heavy-handed security agencies, but it's become even clearer. President Buhari, formerly a military dictator of the country from 1983-85, used threatening language on Twitter last week to respond to agitations in the southeastern part of the country. The question tweet was a threat to use language they will understand against civilian protesters was deleted by Twitter. 
The real reason for the ban, of course, is the silent citizenry that found throughout social media. No, 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 no. It's not. Uh, there's no other platform that was banned. They didn't shut down the internet, foreign policies, expert commentator, Human Rights Watch. They didn't shut down Instagram. They didn't shut down Facebook. They didn't shut down YouTube. They banned Twitter. It was in direct response. This, this, this is hyperbole. Is it right? Arguably, no. But it's not dictatorship. It's not censoring the internet. That's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie by this commentator who's seeking to manipulate the audience. We can argue about it being right or wrong. That's a legitimate argument. But you can't argue that it's an attempt to shut down the internet and silence critics. Twitter's a cancer. It's a social cancer. And it has been for a long time. Twitter's capricious use of its platform to ban people over legitimate discussion and then allow the most vile abusive commentary to take place on that platform is evidence of it. And for a person to write this on foreign policy, that's very disheartening and dishonest. Additional news from Nigeria includes Iswap claiming that, in fact, Abu, Abu Bakar Shekau is in fact dead, having committed suicide, according to this group. The Islamic State West African Province, or Iswap, militant group said in an audio recording uh, that Reuters listened to this weekend that Abu Bakar Shekau, leader of the Boko Haram group, was in fact dead. He died around the 18th of May after detonating an explosive device when he was pursued by Iswap fighters following a battle. This according to Iswap leader Abu Musab al-Barnawi in an audio recording. Boko Haram's leader was reported to have been killed on several occasions over the past 12 years, including announcements by the military, only to later appear in a video post. But in the audio recording, the man identified as al-Banari said his fighters had sought out the warlord on orders of the Islamic State leadership and battled Boko Haram insurgents until Shikau fled. Shikau preferred to be humiliated in the afterlife than getting humiliated on earth, and he killed himself instantly by detonating an explosive. This according to Iswap. Is he actually dead? We have no evidence that he's not. We also have no evidence, just claims that he is dead. Survivors of the brutal murderous attacks that took place the past few days in Burkina Faso near the border with Niger are in urgent need of assistance. This according to the Voice of America. United Nations refugee agency says survivors of Saturday's massacre in Burkina Faso are in desperate need of humanitarian aid. Unidentified gunmen attacked the village of Solhan in Burkina Faso's northeast Sahel region on the 5th of June. They reportedly stormed the village in the middle of the night, executing at least 138 civilians, seriously injuring nearly 40 other people and setting houses and a market ablaze. The UN refugee agency says more than 3,300 people fled for their lives to nearby villages. UNHCR spokesman Babar Balak says the newly displaced, mostly children and women, have been arriving in desperate straits. He says they have few or no belongings and need everything. New arrivals urgently need water and sanitation, shelter, essential food items, and medical care. Authorities delivered almost 400 tons of food and thousands of relief items, while UNHCR partners are providing medical care and so psychosocial support. This brutal, unprecedented, uncalled for attack on civilians must be dealt with. Macadamia nuts, stink bugs. Who knew that stink bugs were all into macadamia nuts? Well, this is a development that's taken place since my interview of Liesl Pretorius from the Macadamia Nut Association Growers of South Africa. Bats. Are they the answer to macadamia pests? Despite being well-known for their pest control abilities, bats remain understudied and misunderstood. Their numbers have been on the decline for various reasons. Now, research is showing that these mammals may be invaluable to macadamia nut farmers, whose pest control costs are rising while their nut quality is dropping. Lindy Bolta spoke to uh, Dr. Valerie Linden about bats' potential to save the industry millions of rand. Plagued by stink bug populations that seem to multiply despite, despite increased pest control applications, the macadamia industry in South Africa is losing 200 million rand a year to pests damage. 
This damage is related to unsound kernel, a condition where the macadamia nut in the shell is damaged by insects while ripening on the tree. More than 300 organizations have signed up to the Gulf of Guinea Declaration Against Piracy and Crime. The shipping sector is taking firm political action to combat piracy in the Gulf of Guinea with a joint declaration that serves to step up the fight against pirate attacks. More than 300 maritime companies and organizations have signed the declaration. Purpose declarations lower the number of pirate attacks in the Gulf of Guinea by 80% before the end of 2023. Last year, more than 95% of all piracy attacks against shipping trade occurred in the Gulf of Guinea. Remember famously that we saw this off the coast of Somalia, but the Gulf of Guinea has always been a target for pirates. It's just ignored. Global internet outages as a consequence of Fastly's network going down affected many government and media sites around the world. In an ironic twist of fate, the Wall Street Journal says internet outage hits major websites. The hour-long disruption affected sites including the New York Times, the UK government portal, cloud services provider Fastly reports an internal problem. 503 error, service unavailable. This is widely reported after it came up. This report came out within 20 minutes or so of it happening. Massive internet outage websites and apps around the world go dark. Countless websites and apps around the world went dark Tuesday after Fastly, a major content delivery network, reported a widespread failure. CNN, The Guardian, The New York Times, many others, including Twitch, Pinterest, HBO Max, Hulu, Reddit, Spotify, and other services were all down, including Amazon, Target, and the UK government website, gov.uk. Problem appeared to be related to an outage at Fastly, a cloud service provider. Many sites were still unavailable for some users as early as 7 a.m. this morning. And Twitch reported on this. Twitch, Pinterest, Reddit, Reddit, not Reddit, and more go down in the Fastly outage. Countless popular websites, including Reddit, Spotify, Twitch, Stack Overflow, GitHub, GovUK, Hulu, HBO Max, Quora, the list just keeps growing. PayPal, Vimeo, Shopify, Stripe, and CNN, The Guardian, The New York Times, BBC, The Financial Times were all offline this morning when this report was done. Amazing how interconnected the world is and what an impact such things can happen. The United States Senate's report on the events of the 6th of January, the peaceful assembly of over half a million Americans to seek right of redress from their government, which uh, due to a lack of security, the government forces and the District of Columbia resources refusing to acknowledge intelligence information provided to them by Parler and others and ignoring it, the Counter National Counterterrorism Center is sending warnings over to the Capitol Police and the mayor of the District of Columbia and no action being taken in advance of the events on the 6th, despite the peaceful protest of 500,000 Americans, a handful of criminal trespassers broke into an undefended Capitol building and dozens of others were welcomed into the Capitol building by law enforcement officers. This has been turned into something that it's not and the Senate has a report on, out on it now. Finally, this is being addressed the 6th of January, labeled by CNN as an attack. There was no attack. Peaceful. Although there were criminals who broke in who should be prosecuted. New Senate report reveals previously unknown details about the stunning security breakdowns ahead of January 6th as they described a capital attack, which it was not. Adding an authoritative emphasis to previous evidence that there were massive intelligence failures. Again, in blaming intelligence for a, an intentional effort to not take action. The choice to ignore the intelligence information provided by Parler prior to Christmas Day and throughout up to the 6th of January by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, National Counterterrorism Center, the Capitol Police and the mayor, Muriel Bowser of the District of Columbia, is not an intelligence failure. It's a failure to act on the part of leadership. It's a leadership failure, and these people should be impeached or recalled or fired for their negligent actions, allowing people to break into the Capitol building 
And those who use hyperbolic language to mischaracterize the events of 6th of January should be sanctioned for their blatant lies about what happened on that day. Vice President Kamala Harris made her first overseas trip to Guatemala, of all places, to go down there and beg Guatemalans to stop invading our country and violating our sovereignty. I don't really think that she's serious about that. But the borders are, as she is now titled, but has taken no action about the border crisis, the borders are Vice President Kamala Harris found her way to Guatemala, where she was greeted with jeers and taunts by people who were not happy with her presence. Absolutely stunning what happened in Guatemala. Pro-Trump protesters in Guatemala taunt Vice President Kamala Harris. A group of pro-Trump protesters in Guatemala made a surprise appearance Monday during a visit from Vice President Kamala Harris, her first visit to a foreign place since she was installed in office back in January. Harris spent Monday and Tuesday taking a look at the root cause of northern migration in Guatemala, Mexico. You don't need to go there. We're wasting our resources. I'll tell you what the problem is. Useless governance and piss-poor economic development. That's why people are coming here. As the vice president's motorcade was passing a group of Trump supporters while headed to their first stop, which was the meeting with President Alejandro Giamate. According to the traveling press poll, the signs read, Kamala, Trump won, and Kamala, mind your own business. Photos posted on social media showed other signs reading, Kamala, stop funding criminals, and Guatemala is pro-life. Ooh. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Vice President Kamala Harris faced pro, uh, well, not pro, but anti-Kamala anti, anti um, Harris protesters and taunters in Guatemala. And once again, congratulations to Tom McDonald on his snowflakes. Forecast said there'd be snowflakes, ladies and gentlemen, over 4 million views, despite rather sketchy and questionable numbers being reported by YouTube publicly. Congratulations, Tom McDonald, for this video that's just blowing up the internet. It's an amazing song. And if, in fact, that is Blair White, who we believe it to be, awesome cameo performance by one of America's most well-known conservative transsexuals. Pretty cool. Anyway, folks, that... That, that is the news report for today, the 8th of June, 2021. Thanks for tuning in. We, support your, we appreciate your support and patrons of the channel. And thank you for your time here with us today on Indaba African News of the Day.